What's up, everybody, and welcome to another Boardroom Out of Office podcast. Today is Wednesday, March 30th, and I'm here, as always, right by my side, my man, 50 Grand, Gianni Harrell. Richie Rich, what's up, what's up? What's up, bro? I was in Miami for 10 days. I missed you, man. I missed you too, bro. I was Miami. Incredible. And I miss Miami right now, to be honest. (laughs) Because I actually know that I'm destined to live there full time. As soon as my youngest daughter goes to college, I am basta from the day after Halloween. This is my plan right now. I'm solidifying it. The day after Halloween, I'm moving. And then May 1st, I'm coming back to New York. Smart. That's what I'm doing. It's hot in the summer in Miami. I love South Florida. I like any bit of it, like all the way up to Fort Lauderdale, Boca, Palm Beach. I like the cheesy part. I like the retirement part. I like South Beach. I like every part of South Miami. I like North Miami Beach. I like it all. I love the life. And there's so many people there. I go to dinner there, by the way. I go to Carbone the first night I'm there. I know more people when I go out for dinner in Miami than I do in New York. There's less places that everyone's going to, and everyone's going to the same places. Yep. But every night I went out, I ran into people. I took my kids out. My kids were out with me to dinner until 11 o'clock at night. I mean, we just went out. We just had the best time. I went out a few nights. They went home. Kevin came to town when they played the Heat. Got it in. Went on a boat one day with, uh, with Steve Stout. That was fun as hell, except we just randomly... Had to jump off in downtown Miami, my family, <laughs> because the boat was going way too late. But I loved it. I loved the whole thing. Went to a Heat game. Nice. Went to the Miami oh, Open. Oh, they spanked them. Yeah, that was game was incredible. Went to the Miami Open. Saw Naomi Osaka. You see Pat Riley? Bro, get to that. Went to the Miami Open. Introduced Naomi Osaka to my daughter. It was dope. That was fun. Saw a bunch of matches. Going to these kind of events with my kids now and they're enjoying it, or at least they're telling me they're enjoying it is amazing i love every bit of it and then watching them so like intense at the net heat game and incredible but back to pat riley i had a two-hour hang with him saturday or friday afternoon um hello wine and just talked bro like he's one of my favorite people i've ever met i really look up to him you know one of those like five or six people that i just can't believe that i know personally you know it just like blows my mind and for me that's really the most like rewarding thing of everything i've been able to do professionally is just like these people i idolized this world that i idolized that i know pat riley what crazy is he anything like the character in the winning time no like adrian brody i love adrian brody um no i don't think so we didn't really talk about his character Talk Knicks. I always talk Knicks with him. Talk Heat, Knicks. Like, I get to sit and talk to Pat Riley about the Knicks-Heat series and the Knicks game and the game six and seven of the Rockets-Knicks championship. Like, come on. That's the kind of, that's all, I mean, that's the, that, that's the only shit that excites me in life. Like, my kids and that. Like, that's incredible. But overall, incredible. Um, back in New York now, um, Bro, I know we've been talking about it for like three, four days now, but the Oscars thing was just really disappointing because I I felt like there was so much about the show that was incredible. Will Packer, who we covered on Boardroom, did such an incredible job. Just the whole vibe, the setup, the seating, the flow of the evening. 
all of it really felt like it evolved, like it was a, it was different, and I was enjoying it. I was watching the net game on my phone for because the Oscars was that like entertaining. And honestly, man, I, I was so disappointed by the whole Will Smith thing. Totally, totally, totally infuriated. I know that sounds ridiculous. It has nothing to do with me. I shouldn't have this wild of emotion about it, but I do. But instead, I t before I tell you what I'm thinking, tell me what you're thinking. I mean, I'm not as passionately against it as you are. I mean, if you... I'm, the only thing I'm against is the fact that it was Chris Rock on the receiving end. If it was anybody else or somebody who deserved to be smacked, I'd be more chilled about it. But since it's Chris Rock and it was very unwarranted and the joke wasn't that bad, I feel bad for Chris. Well, that's a fair point. I I agree with you in that, like, I'm not saying, no, you know what? No, I am saying this. Let me tell you something. This is how I feel about it. What box does that check? Because if he was offended by what he said about his wife, right? Which he has every right to be, right? If he was sensitive about it because of what she's suffering from, totally understand that. And he has every right to be defensive about his wife because like, whatever, I'll be defensive about my wife too, period. End of story. And maybe they have a backstory, all of them. But I don't care if it was the most gangster gangster or if the head of every mob family was in there and they wanted to kill each other. If you get dressed up and you're on national TV and you're celebrating the Oscars on an evening where you about to win the Oscar for best actor, you really have a problem, you wait till that shit is over. You pull him aside and say, yo, my man, I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt that you didn't know what she's going through because that joke was out of line. I have a real problem with it. So. What's the, what's the issue here? Did you know? Because that's some bullshit. Smack him then, like a real G would, if that's really what the issue was. But because your wife looked at you and your wife was not happy, understandably, and you were laughing, and you laughed two hours earlier when Regina Hall made a joke about your open marriage, which by the way, that shit would have pissed me off even more. But I understand the, the button it pushed because of what she's what she has and I feel bad and I, and, I, and I hate that that was made light of. I'm not saying that's cool, but there's no world in which you walking on stage, taking away now from Amir winning best documentary right after that, taking away from the Godfather tribute, putting Puffy in an incredibly difficult position, which he crushed as he always does, where he had to go up and give an a, a award. He was supposed to give a, get a moment himself for introducing the Godfather. I don't even remember what happened after that. Sam Jackson won <laughs> Lifetime Achievement. I, don't, I was on Twitter. Yeah. So was everyone else. There's no world in which that is right. And everybody's saying it's cool he stood up for his wife. Yo, it's, you have, there's no statue of limitations on sticking up for her. Do that shit behind closed doors. Blast him on Instagram the next day if you want. But don't walk on stage and smack him at the Oscars. You, you look stupid. You look like you ran from fights your whole life and you mad that, that you were never that guy. And because you were never that guy, that moment you had now to go up and smack Chris Rock on stage, you probably laughed at 8,000 jokes he's told, disrespecting whole walks of life in his shows in the name of comedy. And if you hated the joke and he was being insensitive to what she's going through, I totally understand. 
because that was foul. And I feel bad if her feelings were hurt. No, she no one deserves that. Nobody, right? It wasn't even that funny. Right. It really wasn't that funny. But that being said, that's why I felt that way about it because I just felt like it sucked. It sucked for Amir. It sucked for everybody. Sorry, man. I told you I was passionate. <laughs> All good. Man, speak your truth. I mean, again, I... I'm just a spectator in this. I mean, I as, as you are, like, it's not that deep to me. <laughs> you know, it's crazy that it happened. It's hilarious that it happened. Gives us something to talk about for a whole week. Am I upset that it's Chris Rock? Yes. Am I upset that he did it? Not at all. Well, yeah. I mean, let me, yes. Listen, the passion is passion. Like the way I'd be passionate talking about like politics or sports or, you know, football on Sunday and playoffs and i don't really care i'm like <laughs> i mean i care and that like it really bothered me that it, that happened and i feel way about it because i'm an emotional guy but i don't really care like i don't have a i'm not involved i'm just i'm upset that anybody's upset you know it sucks that will smith is as embarrassed as he feels right now why because it took away from the fact that he's got one of the greatest body of work of anyone in our generation he was just winning best actor like He's done it all. Yeah. You didn't need to do that. What I don't understand is the immediate apology. By who? By Will. I'm like, if you're going to do it, be all the way anti, anti. But if you're going to play sympathy cards and adhere to the Academy and apologize to Chris publicly, then you shouldn't have even done it in the first place. Well, I mean, no. What? If he did I mean, he... Uh, at least you know he has some understanding and he moral like, compass yeah and that, I mean, we knew he had a moral compass but like I actually think it would have been a disaster if he stood behind it only in that like what were you standing behind well don't stand behind it but don't necessarily apologize immediately after like oh I shouldn't have done that like well he's got his own he's got his own career and his life that he's got to worry about and also I think he genuinely probably feels like shit you ever wake up the next day and be like, what the hell did I do last night? He had to wake up and go, did I really just go and smack Chris Rock in the middle of the Oscars? And like, listen, and then the speech afterwards, there's a lot you could say about it, but it was so emotional at that point that like, you know, I'm happy he won because he literally did the most incredible job in that role. And like Will Smith, man, you've done everything. We love you. We all love you, bro. And I just don't understand how, why. Just, I know. Don't you wish you were in his head when it happened? I just wish someone like, grabbed what is, him. What like, is the you, trade Where are you thought? going, bro? Where are you going? Bro? What was Chris thinking when he was walking up? What did Chris think right after it happened? I want to hear these two speak about it. You know, but here's the thing. You know why you can't really debate this in general? Because people that debate it then, this is what they have to stand behind then that it's cool to, to, to be violent at any point at any cost, whether it was a slap or not. Because what I mean is, is that there are some rules to it. So it's like how he felt wasn't wrong. How his wife felt definitely wasn't wrong. If Chris knew and purposely made a joke, that's not cool. But he's also Chris Rock, man. He has equity, he's got receipts. You know the type of dude he is and you know the type of comedian he is. But Will, nobody will co-sign that you like when world leaders sit with each other from across the country that have diplomatic beef, 
They don't smack each other when they right there. Like, you got to really just hold off, my G. A hundred percent on your diplomatic point. But those diplomats aren't making fun of each other's wives on the largest stage and not saying that's okay. But no, I mean, first of all, the stage is isn't as large as it used to be. The ratings are down, bro. He knew that. Yeah. I mean, it, that makes no sense. <laughs> that has nothing to do with it. Take that back. But, I mean, don't. It was... It was my point is, is that like it wasn't the largest stage. We would have moved on in one second. There would have been zero thought from anyone except Will and Jada, rightfully so, and their kids sitting there. And then Will should have handled that. He should have said, yo, Chris, what's up? And if I had read the next day, like he confronted him and, you know, he had to he set him straight. I'd be like, damn, Will, real one, man. Yeah. And but, to be perfectly clear, I don't think it's the right thing to do. Do I think it's hilarious? Of course. And am I upset that Chris Rock's on the receiving end? Yes. Am I mad that it happened, though? Nah. No, and it was entertaining as hell. But it. But by the way, really upset for Amir. I, I know no one else is saying this, and he did win the Oscar. But, like, I really get the – I watched it back. But, like, his speech, it was a major thing that was happening. And the Godfather thing – like it, people were just shaking. I don't even. I swear, I don't know if I watched Sam Jackson's Lifetime Achievement. Did you? Nah. Why is that? S- side note, bro. I didn't even know he had. He got an, a, a Lifetime Achievement Award. That's what I'm saying. That's a, that messed everything up. Yeah. And we're not even talking about the fact that Will Smith's career is incredible, and he just won Best Oscar for playing Richard Williams, and it was perfect. Like. That film was perfect because it was a, such a risk to do justice, these like iconic human beings and their story. And they did. And Will was incredible. But let's move on because the interview today is, you know, a very interesting one. You didn't uh, you didn't get to sit in on that one. It was a few days ago with Joe DeSena um, from Spartan. He grew up in Queens, New York. And incredible story, just how he got his career, his relationship with a uh, mob boss from his neighborhood. He had a pool business, then he went to Cornell, then he had a career on Wall Street, and he ended up becoming this racer, extreme racer, started Peak.com, which turned into Spartan, and now he's built this mega business, Spartan, around the world, and he's got multiple books that are bestsellers. He's got a show on CNBC right now. Gee, we watched it the other day. Dope show, and this camp up in Vermont where military train and... um, you know, companies go up for these like boot camp sessions and it's really incredible story. And uh, he's actually, he got, um, he has one in Queens in City Field this summer. So, you know, we're definitely up in there. <laughs> I said we definitely up in there. <laughs> I've been running Let's do a life. Spartan uh, yeah. team exercise. Um, but let's, um, let's, uh, let's get into it. Let's get into it, man. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Joe DeSena. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, so I spent the entire day today, which is what I've started to do now before my pods preparing. And I, I do way better when I can do it in this like condensed period of time. I obviously knew a good deal about you topically, um, but really went into it. Uh, it's, it's for me the best strategy. And then as soon as I start and press play and I see you, I feel like now I've gotten to know you. So. 
I feel way more familiar probably right now than, than you do with me. But in going into it, I realized there's nothing I can do in the next 45 minutes, an hour to cover everything that is your life and everything that you accomplish. It made me as an entrepreneur myself start to think and question a lot of things, which I assume is at the root of so much of what you do now. Um, but you grew up in New York City like I did. You grew up in Queens. So I have an affinity from everyone from New York and feel like there is obviously, we, we all, I think, feel like there's something that we have that no one else has coming from New York. But talk to me a bit about New York City in the 70s and 80s and growing up in Queens and just what the landscape was like for you. Yeah, I mean, if you saw Goodfellas, uh, we grew up, my family lived in ground zero for that movie, right? Right in Howard Beach, right across the street from the Varios that the, the movie um, focused on. And, um, you know, there were many days where I woke up as a young child and went into my garage and there were boxes of things that I was like, gee, why do we have a thousand pairs of leather gloves in the garage? <laughs> That's a little weird, right? Uh, but that was a normal day. Stuff didn't make it where it was supposed to go, my father used to say. And, um, <laughs> and everybody in the neighborhood was, um, was either coming out of jail, going into jail, mixing cement or making pizza. That, yep. was, that was the whole neighborhood. Uh, the common thread amongst all of them was uh, they all hustled. Men, women, they woke up, they just got it done. If you weren't hustling, you were left behind. Um, you got no respect. So whether you were doing legal or illegal things, you worked. And, yep. um, and so that just becomes part of, of who you are if you grew up in, in that neighborhood. And, and I... You know, I guess I, I suspected, I learned that, you know, you had to go to jail. That was part of like that was going to college. And so then as a young, light skinned, red haired kid, I started thinking, am I tough enough? Because I didn't fit that that mold, you know, and I probably started thinking about like, how do I get tougher? How do I fit in? How do I get rolls of $100 bills in my pocket? And, and a Cadillac someday and a cigar. And, um, and then my mom walks into a, probably the only health food store in all of, of New York at the time. In the early 70s, she walks in, her mom had cancer and she was looking for like, I don't know, some answers. And there's a yogi, you know, I don't know, 70 years old, 80 years old. He's, he's, He's in the health food store. He just landed at Kennedy Airport. And so he's, he's a natural at like captivating people's attention, right? And he gets my mother's attention and he somehow convinces her in that hour in the health food store that she should give up, you know, sausage and peppers and uh, give up cannolis and pizzas and all that <laughs> stuff. And uh, literally comes home, I remember the day and throws everything out and becomes vegan and uh and starts teaching yoga and starts meditating in the, and then 70s. I got, in the early 70s and then i got pictures of guys from india with robes on and afros in the house and i'm trying to explain to my friends that like they're not relatives I, like it's very complicated <laughs> yeah and and um parents get divorced no wonder um, mom's not being accepted by the neighborhood nor by her family. My father uh, gets my sister and I a 
an account at a local Chinese restaurant called Danny's Szechuan Garden so that we could escape our mother's cooking and, um, and go eat regular food. And, and so I become really good friends with Danny from China, who owns this Szechuan Garden, who literally it is, you go in there, there's two or three mob bosses every night in this Chinese restaurant. And, um, and, and then she moves to Ithaca. She can't take it anymore in Queens. They're fully divorced and she moves to Ithaca. In that process, my neighbor was the head of the banana organized crime family. And um, he sees it all going on and I'm in my preteens and he says, hey, why don't you come over and clean my pool? I'll pay you $35. Think back then, $35 to clean the swimming pool. And I go over and he sits me down and he says, hey, a couple things before we get started here. Number one, on time is late. If you're supposed to be here at 8 a.m., you better get here at 7.45. Number two, if I'm paying you to clean the pool, you gotta go above and beyond. You gotta straighten up the shed, straighten up the lawn furniture, clean the windows, whatever it takes, so that when I come home, my family comes home, uh, it's like I can't live without this kid. And then uh, number three, never ask me for money. Don't ask anybody for money. If you do a good job, you get paid. And, I got it. Uh, I got a question on that third one. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure a lot of people um, don't understand the third one, and and, um, and but we'll get into it. And those three little tips, along with five thousand tips I got from my father, who was he was unbelievable, um, and five thousand tips I got from my mother, really, um, really helped shape me. Let's go into that question, and then we'll, and then we'll continue on. Yeah, I mean, well, only when I read that, um, I was just thinking about. I get it, theoretically, and I get it from a mob perspective. Uh, as a young person, I feel like one of the things I think about a lot is how hard it was for me only to advocate for what I thought I was worth as a kid and as a, as a young person and starting my journey. And it wasn't that I couldn't advocate for myself in general, just I feel like that's an important thing to drive in is that there is a time to at some point ask for what you're worth, but I'm sure there's more to that last point. Yeah, it was, it was very, um, look, I remember prior to learning those three lessons, I remember, you know, going to lots and lots of dinners with my father and my family and whether, you know, they had their last $50 in their pocket or whatever, everybody was fighting over who was going to pay the bill. And I think it was a little bit of that we're talking about where it was like, I got you, don't worry. And, and, and it comes back to you tenfold. Um, and, and there were times to ask. I remember, I, I remember a guy owed me, I don't wanna mention names. I remember a guy owed me $60,000. $60, and I didn't know how to ask for it. I wasn't supposed to ask for it, but it, you know, the bill had gone from $1,000, $60,000. And I went back to Joe, cause I used, I, the amazing thing about my childhood that I wish every child, including my own, could have was this, this business eventually ballooned to 700 customers. And I had access to every one of those houses. I could walk in, open the fridge, grab food. I did always take my shoes off. Like I had some quirky, good behaviors about me uh, because I was a clean, I cleaned things, you know? And, and um, yeah, people, people just gave me access to their houses, they trusted me. What that did was it gave me insight into, wow, I, I noticed that family makes a lot of money. Oh, I noticed that family made a lot of money and then went out of business. I noticed that guy cheats on his wife. I know that 
woman cheats on the husband. Like I knew everything. Yeah. And I and I was kind of like Bruce Lee saying to myself, I'm going to take a little bit of the good stuff and discard the bad stuff when I have a family, right? I like who gets to learn that way? You go into school, you learn calculus, biology, this and that, but I was learning so much more. I was learning how not to get overextended, how to mm -hmm. keep your business, how to make sure you weren't fighting with your family every morning. And how so to anyway, people. Yeah, so anyway, I, I, I'm over at Joe's house, my neighbor's house, and, um, and I got to explain that this guy owes me 60,000, and I felt funny asking Joe, you know, about the problem. And he said, oh, no problem. He said, um, here, take this bottle of champagne, Gave me a bottle of Dom Perignon, an old bottle of Dom Perignon. He said, uh, bring this to him and let him know it came from me. And that was it. That was the message. It was uh, one yeah. sentence, handed me a bottle. Uh, two, three days later, I, I saw the guy. I gave him the bottle. I said, hey, Joe, oh, well, let me go get you money. He went right to a safe in front of me. He opened the safe in the wall. He took 60000 in a paper bag and he handed it to me. That was, uh. that, that was it. I didn't have to, like, grovel. It was... Um, now, I will tell you, when I sold the business years later to my employees, um, I left like $220,000 on the street of, you know, who owed me 500, who owed yeah. me 1,000. I, I, I wanted the money, but like I couldn't, I couldn't run around. Uh, I, that was the other thing. I, I, I you know, you, you worked with people, like you knew they were having a tough time or yeah. now it did, it did piss you off. The person owed you money, they were having a tough time. They pull in with a new Jaguar. That yeah. was annoying, um, but I, but I, yep. yeah. Anyway, I don't know if I answered the question well. No, 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 you did, and you know it's very. It reminds me, it's almost like Bronx Tale a little bit in the uh, sunny and collegial. It, it was that the first trigger of entrepreneur, or do you think that there was something that you know your mom and dad in some way instilled in you that had that innate kind of instinct to want to be in business, to make money, to to meet people, to read. There was, no, was no other way. I mean, I remember backing up six years. I remember, I think my mother washed my father's clothes or something. He had, you know, whatever, $500 in 20s in his pocket. And so I woke up in the morning, there were $20 bills drying out all over the table. Um, doesn't sound like a lot, but you're young. It's in the 70s. And like, so every, the discussion's always about money, about hustling. My father's on the phone during dinner. Uh, the neighbor has a, a, a tow truck business. The wife is uh, using a CB radio while she's cooking meatballs. Like, you know what I mean? Like that. Yeah. What else would it. you do? If everybody in the neighborhood was a marathon runner, I would have been a marathon runner. Like, yeah. that's, you know, like. Yeah, I get it. Well, that, which is why when I was started to read up on you a bit, um, you know, starting to set the stage, I'm visualizing where you are in Howard Beach. I know the neighborhood. I know the references. And then I see Cornell and I'm like, wait, hold up. I didn't see this initial turn you're in the pool business in your neighborhood and then you you sell the business and go off to cornell what clicked in you or what made you want to get out of there as opposed to be your neighbor as opposed to being the biggest fish in that pond where you grew up i i didn't know anything about college i had no interest in going to college it was not on the roadmap. my grades were no good and um mom moved us to ithaca new york my sister and i we came back almost every weekend to see my father. Um, I had my business now, you know, I had two customers, then 10 customers and 50 customers. I had to come back. My father would pay for my flights to come, to come back. Then when I was old enough to drive, I was driving back and forth. Um, 
but I couldn't wait to get out of Ithaca. Like it was for the birds in my mind. Uh, I, I wanted to be in the neighborhood. I wanted to be with these guys and I, I that's where I wanted to go. That was the direction yeah. I, I was headed. Um, I was graduating high school in Ithaca, ready to go. Couldn't wait, you know, to get out of the, the house and the and the branch sandwiches and the chanting in the living room. I <laughs> didn't want any part of it. And uh, my my high school friend said, um, "Listen, my my father's a professor at Cornell. Uh, why don't we go to Cornell? He can get us in." And I said, uh, "I don't have time for college. I got this business <laughs> I'm running in Queens." But your father's got a guy. It was very neighborhood esque the conversation. So I said, "All right, if we got a guy, let's 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 do it." So uh, we both applied. We both had interviews. By the way, all I had to do was the interview, which I did, in a suit for my father and my mother to tell everybody that their son was interviewing at Cornell. Yeah. Right. I don't even know if they knew what Cornell was, <laughs> and and um. And that was enough. Well, neither of us got accepted. His father couldn't get us in. Our grades were that bad. Our SAT scores were that bad. Um, but now I was interested. Now it was like, okay, um, they don't want me. I, I, I'm interested. How do I get into this thing? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I, I, I ended up fighting my way in and ultimately getting in a couple of years later. You always had that. Like you that figure it out thing, like that figure it out gene. I think that's one of the big characteristics. Again, I think all New Yorkers are probably going to say it comes from here. So I'll stand by that. But, you know, I, I always feel like a lot of times there's that answer that some people want in work or in life. And they, they're dying to give someone to get, have someone give them the solution, just get the solve where you just got to figure it out sometimes. And it feels like that's how you just managed it right you figured it out you couldn't get into cornell so you had to figure out how to get into it um did you start to figure it out in college like you know coming from street life did you now buy into like being on college campus and being a student and partying or were you business focused and like let me get out of cornell now once you got in i i again i didn't know anything about fraternities or anything and because i wasn't officially accepted I couldn't live on campus. My mother had a house that was a couple of miles away and um, and I, I was living down there. So I wasn't really connected to anybody. My whole focus was, you know, walk uphill like 40 minutes. Uh, it felt great. I was always a stoic, right? So take that hike up, snow, snow range, I didn't matter. And um, go to school, try to learn. This was all new for me walk back home and sit and study for four or five hours. Yep. Uh, and then and then in between it all, try to figure out my business and, and because I had a business back in Queens. So um, so that's all, that's all I did. When I finally got accepted, I was already two years into the process. So all, all, the, all the new kids had already figured out sororities. And uh, so really I only had a few friends. Um, I never partied, I, I, I wasn't into it because I saw the movie the Godfather with um, with Al Pacino and and uh, Marlon Brando and 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 when Brando, as the Godfather, as the dad, you know, says we stay away from drugs or whatever, it had a huge impact on me for I don't know why, and so I I just thought like again maybe because I wanted to be tough, there was some weakness in my mind around drinking and drugs, so um, like why would I want to why would I want to be out of my mind why wouldn't I want to I want, I want to be the one in the room that had 
complete clarity and focus. Why wouldn't I want to be the one awake super early, cleaning everything up and like everybody else is sleeping till noon. I, that's, I don't know why I, I somehow yeah. had that. And, um, well, you grew up yes. next to gangsters too. Like, I mean, you know, they're, they're, it's always polished. It's always clean. They're always in control. There's nothing fresh about being sloppy and leaving the club a mess. That's interesting you say that because um, as you were just using those words, I, I had a flashback to like 10 different houses, including my father's. And um, everything was like manicured. Everything was per Even if you didn't have a lot of money, like... I remember my dad saying, go wax the car. Remember when waxing a car was, was, was a thing, right? Yeah. Wax the car, right? Uh, Simonize was the wax, right? That was the hard one to, to use. Yeah. Sunny day, black car, wax it, come inside, do it again. It needs three coats. <laughs> like that's the mentality. was like crazy. Yeah, yeah. You know? But I, I get it in, you know, I'm pretty OCD, uh, but it's, I have my own you know, like my own things, like my uh, text messages, I delete them as soon as I send it and receive it. It's pretty nuts. Uh, my emails, my inbox, if I'm, I'm having a good day, if there's two or three in my inbox, they're archived, but they're there. My house has to be straightened. My, I have to see all my clothes. Um, but it's a, it's a, I'm off balance if it's not like that. Do you feel that way in general about your life now still? There's no, no doubt about it. I think I, for people like you or, or me, we're, we're, uh, we're trying to fit everything in a nice, neat packaged box. And um, we, we create some organization around a completely chaotic life. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting you say that because I was watching your show this morning, episode one, and in like the intro a bit, talked about how important it is to have trauma as a company. And, and I agree with you on that. But I I think that a lot of times I try to, and my mother who listens to my show religiously and I have probably been butting heads since we met, um, she thinks I've recreated a lot of what I remember as a kid. My parents had a horrible divorce. I know it's true because I remember it my way. I mean, she could say what she wants, but I, I know it's true. That trauma though, I think, and needing things organized came from feeling in my mind like my house was a mess. Like, Mentally, I was a mess. It was a mess. So like if my binder at school wasn't so neat, it would add to the mess of my life. So when I think about, you know, trauma, maybe I'm being a bit um, lazy in, in thinking I could never do any of your races or any of those challenges because 10 minutes in, I, I looked at my boy and I was like, we got to bring our company up to the ranch. And then they're rolling in the mud. I'm like, well, you know, I already went through trauma as a kid. <laughs> I was like, I don't have to go up there. But do you think that that kind of trauma as a kid for some people or what you saw as a kid is some of that figure it out that you got, like I said, but also can qualify as that trauma a bit? Because a lot of entrepreneurs can point back to that story about that shit that happened when they were young. Yeah, I think there's no doubt about it. I, I uh, wasn't just the trauma of the divorce or my dad having heart attacks or my uncle going to jail. Like, wasn't just that it was like I ran a business at a very young age and I had daily trauma because if you own a business, you, yeah. you are doing triage all day, every day. And so um, I was sweating bullets, man. Like, but think about the, pre the pressure for me. And I'm thinking about it for the first time as, I, as I'm talking to you. The pressure for me wasn't like, am I going to get the job? And then am I going to get paid? Am I going to do a good job? Am I going to get paid? 
the pressure for me, because I didn't worry about getting paid, right? I knew I'd get paid. Like that was just the yep. deal I, I was taught. I didn't have to worry about getting the job because I was recommended by all these guys because uh, I didn't have my hand out asking for money. So who wouldn't want to hire a guy that's not asking for money? Yeah, exactly. And, and Right? And then the, the pressure for me was, the, the fuck are they going to do to me if I fuck this up? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So like I had tremendous pressure. That's heat. Um, so the, yeah, I had a lot that's of trouble. That's real heat. Yeah, that's real heat. You know? I get that. I mean, look, I, I mean, this question may be silly, but do you think you could have, do you think you could have handled wise guy life? Like, do you think you have it in you? No, I don't. I, I remember um, one of the big bosses of another family um, who, who I really got along with very well. He's still alive. He's in jail. Um, he's got to be in his 80s. Great guy. And we clicked because I always liked working out and he was a workout nut. And so he would see me. I would, we, anyway, we got along really well. And uh, I remember his wife who looked like a movie star. I asked her one day, I said, you know, I think I want to, I think I want to get out of this business. I want to get in the garbage business because I had like a dozen customers that were killing it in the garbage business. And I was a workhorse and I had a knack for business and there's no reason why I couldn't, and she looked at me and she took like a 10 second tactical pause. And she said, you're not made for the garbage business. <laughs> and that was it. And, and like, I respected her enough because she was like a bridge between her husband and that kind of person. And like, she was nicer to me cause she was a mom and a, and that was enough that said, okay, I guess. Yeah. My fate I know is that I, I had a similar, I'll tell you quickly. I was a bookie in college. I mean, I went to school and I didn't finish a class. Um, and I was a bookie and I had a nice operation going in Boston. My father was like, I'm done giving you any money for school. You're on your own. I came back to New York and I started taking bigger bets from bigger guys. And it got to the point where someone else found out. And I sent my brother randomly on that day to pick up what I thought was going to be like my biggest winnings ever. But it was the day my business was ending and they like had to move into a seat in a diner. They sat on either side of them on one side of the banquette. And they were like, you know, we need last week's earnings back. We're going to take 10% of your business moving forward, but you'll never have a problem collecting. So he comes back. He's bugging out. He, I had like left my cell phone in the car because it was, you know, at that point, it was probably 2000. There was really no point to have your phone with you. Came back. It was like 80 missed calls. And he's shook. And my friends that I grew up with, they're like, fuck that. Get the money back. We're not paying. They're not taking 10%. And, I, and it was that similar moment where I didn't have to have someone tell me I wasn't made for the garbage business. I was just like, I'm not doing this. My brother looks like, uh, his, like his tail went between his legs. I got to figure life out now. But there's something that's like exhilarating about it. And it was the house was clean. The car was waxed. But it is a different thing in here. Um, but you somehow like you, you went into Wall Street from that. What was was that like 80s New York appeal that you wanted to get into Wall Street or what was that kind of allure for you? There was a guy named um, just remembering the name. There was a guy named Al Palagonia. I love Al. You know, Al, one of my closest friends from Apollo uh, Jets, one of my closest friends. Where, where did he um, where did he work to so make sure we're talking about the same Al? He, we started in stocks and uh, yeah, and that didn't end well. And he rebuilt his life and he's like one of the biggest private aviation guys in the world. I heard he had gotten into planes. Yeah, he's I a beast. I'm going to connect you with him. You're going to love him. So so he 
it's like 1989, 19, must be 89. He, he would remember better. I got one year left of college. It's the summer. Um, um, yeah, it's like 88 or 89. I got one or two years left of college. It's the summer, so I'm really hustling. I'm running around with my trucks. I'm, I'm doing my, my jobs, you know, my business. And my father had uh, some houses he was selling in Queens. And the buyer is going to be this guy, this kid who's my age, Al Palagonia. <laughs> and I'm furious because I'm saying to myself, I am killing myself since I'm 12 years old. I can't buy these houses. How the hell is this possible? Yep. And, um, and so I investigate a little more. I learn about it. But I'm, but I'm too busy with my business. I don't know it. I'm in college. I got to finish college. And randomly up at Cornell, I meet a guy named Al Capucci. Right around the same time, Al is trying to buy some houses from my father. Al Capucci must be at this time, let's say 40 years old, 40, 45. And he manages uh, over a billion dollars uh, from, from up in Ithaca. Remember, this is late 80s. Yep. Incredibly smart Italian guy. Takes a liking to me. I know how to return the favor with Italian people because I'm doing yep. this every day. I bring him two bottles of Sambuca, which he <laughs> still has today. And we become lifelong friends. I talk to him every day still. And um, he says, you got to get rid of that business in Queens. You got to go to Wall Street. What are you doing? And, and it, <laughs> I kind of listened to him because of the Al. Yep. thing but my business is still growing and it can't it just sounds too good to be true this wall street thing um that's crazy what did he work for he worked for was it dh blair oh man i don't remember i remember the stratton oatmark he, I, I, yeah. I think it was dh blair i think he stratton worked for DH. was uh wolf of wall street right wolf of wall street yeah, yeah. yeah. So he worked for i think he worked for dh blair so um so anyway this guy al from ithaca is pushing me I graduate Cornell. I go back to Illinois. Now I'm making good money. Um, I'm still not at the level that we're talking about with your buddy Al, but I'm making good money. And um, he calls me every month, every month since graduation on the first of the month. Uh, did you sell the business yet? I'm not selling the business. What are you talking about? <laughs> Hang up. <laughs> every month, like 48 times in a row, 48 months in a row, oh my he calls God. me. And the final time he called me, he goes, listen, he goes, you're making money now, you're single. I want to give you this stock tip. So I want you to buy this stock called Syntex. It's a drug company. And I didn't have an account. I wasn't, I wasn't into it. Al Palgonia came and went. I was on my own path now. Yep. And um, a customer owed me a couple of hundred, $140,000, $200,000 that I was going to pick up. Because now we were doing construction and brickwork and, and other things. And uh, the customer that owed me the money was a pharmacist. My buddy Al says, buy this drug stock. I go to pick up my money. I say to the pharmacist, he's towel drying his hair. He just got out of the shower. I'm going to get my check from him. I said, hey, my buddy told me to buy. He goes, I can't believe you're mentioning this stock. He goes, I'm about to buy 10,000 shares myself. <laughs> Sits down in front of me, calls his broker, buys $140,000 worth of the stock. It was $14 a share. And he, and he says, you're an idiot. He goes, you're single, you're making money. Now would be the time to take risks. And he puts me in touch with the broker right there on the phone in his kitchen. He hands me the check. He then takes the check back, says, I'll pay the broker. You just bought 10,000 shares with me of this company, Syntex. 
So I can't believe that just happened all in the course <laughs> of like 30 minutes, right? And um, That's the, next day, the next day, the company gets taken over and, and I make 100 grand. And, and I said, oh my God, I got to go to Wall Street. Yeah, straight up. What am I, what am I doing? Cleaning pools? Like, so that was it. I, so, I sold the business and I, that's how I ended up on Wall Street. That was a thousand pools in, in one trade and you were like, oh I'm God. out. Yeah, I'm out. So you sold the business. Was it, uh, wait, would you sell it back to like a neighborhood guy? So um, I had, over the course of that decade of doing that, I had, let's just say, a hundred different kids work with me from the neighborhood. Of the hundred kids, 98 quit. Mm -hmm. They lasted sometimes two days, sometimes 20 days. No one wanted to work like I worked. Yep. I, it was my business, it wasn't their business. They, they would talk to me about how they were gonna rob this, they were gonna steal that. I had one kid tell me he was gonna rob a gym. I said, you're gonna rob a gym? You're gonna steal weights? <laughs> you know how hard it is to steal weights? <laughs> so everybody had like an angle that was working with me and, and I just, I had no time. I had no time for that nonsense. Out of the 100 people I hired, if it was 100, two of them were Polish. I randomly stumbled upon two Polish guys. They barely spoke English and I couldn't outwork them. They, if they, they showed up before me, they stayed later than me. They didn't want any days off. They just wanted more hours. It was, it was like a dream. They were unbelievable. Yeah. I, like they became my best friend. All we did was spend time together. All we did was work yeah. seven days yeah. a week, right? And, um, and so when this moment happened, this, this light bulb went off, I'm going to Wall Street. My natural conversation was with these two Polish guys and uh, they still own the business today. Wow. They're, they're, they're multimillionaires. Um, I could call them right now. I just went back to the neighborhood. I have no reason to go back to the neighborhood anymore, but I just went back to the neighborhood because I was going to, it's right next to JFK. And my daughter was with me filming one of the shows, the CNBC shows. And I said, come on, I'm gonna go show you. Number one, I'm gonna take you for the best sandwich you ever had in your life. And number two, I'm gonna show you the pool business. And she said, uh, the pool business, is that still a thing? <laughs> she goes, I go, yeah, it's still a thing. And we went and, the, and, and uh, they got a ton of trucks now. They got, and then I took That's her amazing. to Brothers Ravioli for a sandwich, uh, roasted peppers and mozzarella on an Italian, you know, semolina bread. And still, um, still there from when you were young? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same yeah. spot. The pool business or the Brothers Ravioli? Brothers Ravioli. Oh, both are in the both. same spot. Oh, and everything's those, in the, everything's still there. The the um, Danny's the Chinese restaurant's gone. We're gonna get to the tie, the tie-in twenty years later with Danny's, but uh, New Park Pizza, um, La Villa, like it's all nothing. It's all still there. Have you opened the only a thing not there, there? The only thing not there is my family. All my family's gone. Um, you got to put a gym there. Have you put a gym back in the neighborhood? It won't work. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go. I I don't. I I have. I got a weird feeling when I go back there. It's just, it's, it's, um, I've moved on. Yeah, I get it. You know? I get it. I mean, listen, I can drive by my, uh, 
building I grew up in, and I it's it's I, I it's it's eerily it's eerily it's eerie for me at least you know because I can and I get nostalgic. I don't know if that's a gene that you know it, I have or that others have, but like I can look at the corner and be like, damn, that's where I played two-handed touch. Or that's where I did that. It's too much sometimes. So I could understand what you mean. Um, and I'm sure if everything's still in the same place, unlike it is in Manhattan, it's even more eerie for you to go back. Cause it's like, you probably remember walking into that place with your mom, your dad, everything. Yeah. Right? So, so I remember the first uh, bowl of mussels I, I got, yeah. um, um, where I played football, all that, but, but it was, a. Uh, it was a weird place. Plus, the, my mother physically fought too, right? So I got I got all weird memories from the whole, yeah, I understand. whole thing. I watched a guy stab another guy in the back with a fork in a restaurant. I got it's really too much. Weird, really I get weird it. Stories, you know, I get it. Um, did did the Wall Street um, energy give you what you were looking for? I mean, I'm sure you made money, uh, but the Wall Street in the '80s, and you weren't doing drugs too, so I'm sure that was pretty prevalent in Wall Street in the '80s. Well, I was, uh, don't forget, I got to Wall Street in 95. Oh, 95. That's right. Yeah. That's so, right. Yeah. It's the 80s. I was doing pools. Ni- uh, to, as we were hitting 90, I hit your buddy. Yeah. I, 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 and met your buddy. And then um, graduated 90. Four or five years later, my friend finally convinced me to go to Wall Street. So 95, now the feeling, if you were around Wall, the feeling is I got there too late. Yeah. All the big money was made already. Yep. Right. I missed the boat. And I remember because of my connection in Ithaca with that guy that managed a billion dollars, he guided me not to do what your friend was doing. Your friend mm-hmm. was doing retail sales. They were cold calling people. They were convincing people to buy stocks. Most of those stocks failed. People lost money. I got very lucky, but it was but it meant I would make a lot less money. Yeah, I got very lucky in that um, we were we were dealing with uh, mutual funds, hedge funds and banks. Um, but they didn't pay. They weren't stupid. Yeah. Yep. They didn't. They didn't pay like like um, the retail brokers were getting paid. Um, but it had longevity. So when I got there and I was learning the business, all the guys were like, "Oh, when we were young, you know, we would make a dollar a share. Now you make six cents a share. It's not even worth it anymore." And I remember like my first day, finally after six months of learning this thing and doing like whatever five thousand dollars on the desk thinking what the fuck are they talking about this is the greatest <laughs> business i didn't do anything yeah i'm just sitting here yeah I, I didn't i would have had to clean like 80 pools today <laughs> to make this money <laughs> yep. and then the truck and i got to replace an engine because the truck like uh this is unbelievable and and so um so anyway we, we started making money felt really good felt like i got to wear suits Felt like I was mingling, rubbing shoulders with smart people. Yep. I was out of the neighborhood, being in Manhattan. Um, if you're a Queens kid, you know, you go on the other side of the river, you're in Manhattan. It's like you made big it. money, yep. big money, right? Big, smart people. And, um, and, and then, and then I, you know, then I spun out on my own because I, I, sometimes when you have a lack of knowledge, it, it helps you take chances that you otherwise wouldn't have taken. So I started my own business. And I rented uh, in the Trump building uh, right near the Trade Center. Um, and we had an office. I'm on the 59th floor now looking at the Trade Center um, with, with, you know, 60, 60 people under me um, working every day with a marble floor and trading desks and uh, finance guy. Oh, it was awesome. It was awesome. We had, a, we had a great run. But I started to get chubby and 
not feel so great. And, you know, the pressure and, and, and the psychology, you know what, you know what pushed me over the edges? I took all these neighborhood kids, not just from my neighborhood, but from Bron the Bronx, all these neighborhood kids, they were the best producers I could find. They were amazing. Like Al, yep. like your buddy. And, and they just grinded every day. They didn't, they didn't wait for the phone to ring. They made the phone ring. And, um, but at the end of the year, the end of the month, at the end of the quarter, they would complain if, you know, they got, they made $30,000 less than the guy next to them or the girl. And I was like, first of all, we're making more money than we deserve. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> are we really having this conversation? Yeah. You didn't even have shoes when I met you. <laughs> you, you made a million and a half dollars this year and we're fighting over 50 grand. You yeah. should just be, that. you should. And I just couldn't take that anymore. I couldn't take it because I was making less than them, but I was still so thrilled yeah. what I was making because I know what I used to make. Yep. And and um and how hard you worked for it. And how hard I had to work for it. I, I couldn't I couldn't take it anymore. So I started doing these crazy races. So was the greed that drove you crazy about Wall Street a bit? A little bit? It was the greed. It yeah. was the greed and and the wackiness and like I remember I remember one of the kids on the desk. By the way, much easier business to manage in some ways than any other business because anybody sitting there with you is so hungry and so gritty. You don't even have to manage them. They yep. just bring money in. You know, you, all you got to do is just make sure you got really efficient systems and, and, and you optimize the whole thing. But you don't have to like they're just animals. You got to make sure they don't do anything illegal because yeah. they're just they'll, they'll do anything. Anything in their way. Anything. I had... I had one guy, I hired these two guys. Um, and again, we're doing clean institutional business. Our customers are Goldman Sachs, Morgan Sachs. I had one guy comes in, at, you know, I cover the Vatican. Vatican was his client. All right, I take his word for it, all right? It's, it's taken a while for him to get set up. They got to figure out how to move the money from Italy, whatever they're doing. I got to do a trip to Europe to go say, okay, it makes sense. Right, I'll fund the trip. He's out there doing all kinds of illegal things because i'm yep. not watching him he's not in the office he's out in europe yep so you, you you had to you had to watch um these guys but you didn't have to manage that they would would figure out how to make um money and then and then for me to calm myself down from all that greed all that crazy oh i was i was saying one of the kids comes in one day he's got cancer he's got like three ivs connected to him but he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to not make money that day. <laughs> he's got. He's wheeling them in. He's got wires. Like it was that crazy. It's insane. Well, and to think, like I get it from the standpoint of, um, you know, there was no uh, online mortgage accounts and trading accounts, so it was in the office was where the money was. Period. If you didn't come into work, you weren't getting paid. That's a crazy story. At the IV set up in the whole the IVs the whole the whole thing. It was it was. Um, there's a great book from years ago around the time I was learning about all this called Liar's Poker. And um, it describes a story on a trading desk that was like mine, but it was Solomon Brothers. And uh, a guy dies of a heart attack. And literally the guy next to him steps over him, answers the phone, and they just continue answering phones. And we had something like that happen on our desk. A girl went into a seizure. She's on the floor having a seizure and they're, no one is missing a beat answering the calls. Yeah. Yeah. I, I could imagine why you wanted to get out of there. What's yeah. crazy to me is how old are you at this point? Did you sell that business? I sold it to, the, to my Polish guys. And um, 
So now I, w- I graduated uh, Cornell. I had started school young as a young as a kid. So I'm probably 25, which sounds young, but it's five years later, you know, four years yeah. later than, than the other kids that were already yeah. on Wall Street. And you've sold two companies now. And I sold that second company, uh, the Wall Street firm, and then I moved to Vermont. And what's crazy is, so if I stopped right there with what you experienced growing up in Howard Beach, Cornell, getting in the way you got in, the pool company, selling it to the two Eastern European dudes, going on Wall Street, that'd be a good story. But in reality, your whole life starts now from where we're picking up right here after you sold your company. To, yeah, the, I, to the public, to the public, to yeah, the public as they yeah. knew you. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess I'm, re- I'm reflecting on it. I, I was I was just making some money so that I could do what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the races, we all got friends that got a little chubby on their desk and then joined the gym. But, you know, this is where I have a million questions for you now, because. The races you, you're doing and what you've built now and the extreme nature of it, the death race, Spartan, all of it. Um, and I don't want to fast forward through it. But, you know, and you, ever, you know, Jesse Itzler, I feel like you guys would have crossed paths, right? So, all right. So, Jesse, I, I spent a lot of time with Jesse and I, I've thought this thing as well when I've seen him in some of these extreme challenge stuff that he does is, OK, first of all, I'm like, I could never do it, period. End of story. I'm, I'm not scared of much. I take challenges. I you know, won't run from any fire, I work. But the idea of pushing myself physically to those limits, I honestly don't think I have it. Like I really don't think I have it. Um, but did you know you had this Spartan in you when you say you started racing on the side, you got a little heavy at your desk, and now you know, 30 years later, you're the face of so much of all of this. But where was this thing in this whole makeup I just talked about? Like growing up where you grew up, like where was this guy? Was it always in there? Well, remember the way I physically worked for that decade, um, mixing cement, driving trucks. Sometimes guys wouldn't show up in the rain. I'm, I'm cleaning literally 60 pools that day by myself. Like I worked and that wasn't necessarily running uh, long distance races or, but um, I always had this thing of, I don't know, it made me feel good to sweat. I guess that, I guess to sum it up, it made me feel good to sweat. And when I finally stumbled upon the gym thing, which was before I got to Wall Street, um, I, here's a funny story. It's probably 1989, around the same time I met your buddy Al, and uh, they opened up a gold gym and uh in the neighborhood and I, but i have very little time because i'm running the business but who doesn't want to at that age at 20 years old you want to look good plus i had that boss the boss was my customer he was a fit freak so i started going to the gym but i really only had an hour and uh i could only do it three three four nights a week so i came up with this thing called the prison workout i said because i i only had one guy that had just done like six years that was willing to do this workout with me and it was, we're going to do, like some people would do leg curls and today's leg day and there's bench day and chest and back. I said, fuck it, we're doing everything. We got one hour, we're doing everything. We're yep. doing a hundred sets just to get it done so I get out of here because I got more work to do. <laughs> and no one wanted to do it with me because it made no sense. Today we do legs, tomorrow we do back. I said, I remember saying, if we were cavemen 
and we did legs today, but a deer ran by. Would we say we can't eat because we did legs <laughs> yesterday? Or would you fucking tackle a deer? So I had this crazy workout and I, I, I just fell in love, I think, with, with working out. And then, um, and then when I reflect back, when you asked the question, uh, because you said you couldn't do this, my answer to you would be, God forbid if you and I were in a plane crash, we got one of your buddy Al's planes, we went down, we survived the crash, but you and I have to go 97 miles through the woods to survive, we're gonna do it. I can do it. You're gonna do it, you're just not doing it willingly, but, you, but you're gonna do it. And, and for me, I guess I just always like, um, I think it goes back to that FFIO, that figure it out thing. I just always, I just gotta do out. it. Yep. I just gotta figure it out, I just gotta get it done. So if you sign me up for something crazy, and here's what I learned, and this is gonna sound selfish on my part, like I'm trying to sell your audience something, but like the reality is I was with, um, who's the, the, the fighter, the, the uh, Mark Warburg plays, the Southie fighter, oh, uh, Mickey, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mickey Ward. I was with Mickey Ward four days ago. And I said, Mickey, I gotta ask you a question, because this is something I've been saying for a decade. I said, um, no one wants to do the work, no one. We're all lazy creatures, all the scientists, the biologists, everybody tells me we are motivated more than anything by the avoidance of discomfort, all of us. You don't believe me, go into Central Park I at 5 a.m. Right? 5 a.m. <laughs> Central Park, there's like five people running around. Why isn't there 8 million? Because everybody's sleeping. Yep. Nobody wants to do the work. But when a fighter puts a date on the calendar and now he's gotta go up against McGregor in 60 days, he's gonna do the work. He starts waking up early, right? He's drinking his, his egg shakes. He's going to bed early. He's putting down the cookies, the wine, staying away from his girlfriend. And what I found, I got really lucky, was that when I picked a fight, when I put a date on my calendar and signed up for something crazy, you it, was easy, it was easy to do the work. Yep. So let's start from giving the listener, because I wouldn't do it the service it deserves, of exactly what you've built to this day. So then we can talk about how you went from leaving Wall Street and having that kind of, that thing that got you to do it, to what you built. Because you were successful, you went to uber success now, and it's hard for me to really gauge how much you've done because there's so many layers to what I see you've built from the experience in Quebec, which I need you to tell us the story around, to the death race, to Spartan, to the many different verticals, to the license around the world, to even hearing the video you did from Slovakia the other day and understanding the, the breadth of the brand that you've built in Ukraine. Um, what is your business today? Tell me everything. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what it is today. And, and then, then we'll go back. Then we'll go back. Today, at this moment, it's an absolute shit show. Uh, I, should be, I should be on the TV show and somebody should be beating me and my team up because we are in the fight of our lives. Uh, COVID, I was on top of the world after 22 years of playing around with this thing as a hobby, 
trying to turn uh, an idea into a global business where I help transform lives. Uh, I lost money all along the way. It wasn't working. I raised money. Uh, I couldn't convince people to do this stuff. I used to lie to them and tell them they were going to a barbecue, but it was really a race. Like I couldn't get, because of what you said, you wouldn't do it, right? I finally get it to work in tw literally 2019. I buy out our competitor, Tough Mudder, pound in my chest. We made it and uh, COVID hits yep. and I get shut down in 45 countries. I, uh, at that point, I sold almost 400,000 entries for the year by March. I, I got 400, imagine having 400,000 pissed off people sending you emails, calling you, we want our friggin' money back. We're stuck in our house. And I'm like, you don't understand. When you send in money, we're already paying for insurance. I'm already firing up trucks and, and all these things and renting venues. I like, it doesn't, yeah. we don't take your money and then the day of the race pay our bills. Like it doesn't work that way. Yeah. And so, um, so I got 400,000 people wanting to lynch me. I got vendors telling me they're gonna send Italians to my house. I'm not kidding, break my legs. Um, and I got to furlough most of our staff. You know, at that point we have 500 staff. I got to furlough most of our staff. And, uh, and then, you know, I thought uh, this is gonna go on for two weeks, it went on for two years. That's not even the problem, what I just described. The problem is trying to start it back up again. If you're starting it back up as one race, that's one thing. When you're trying to go from zero back to 350 events. Anyway, I can't imagine. I get I get it. I get it. And in a new world, too, in a whole in new a world. New, in a new world where people aren't in the office. And anyway, it is what it is. I'm not complaining. Right. World's smallest violin over here. But so that's where we are today. And, and I'm fighting through. And there's been a few days where I wanted to quit and I smacked myself and I, this morning I was watching a bird fly over the water. It was early in the morning. I was getting ready to come here to work. And I go, man, it'd be so easy to just tap out. And just like hang yep. out with that bird. I mean, I don't, what am I doing? Yep. You know, so, so, um, so anyway. Does that happen a lot? Do you have, cause that's, a, I'm, I'm sure that's comforting to hear because you know, when I watched your show, like I said, I started challenging myself, but it's good to hear that you still have mornings where you wake up and you think about how that bird's life is probably way chiller than yours right now. Um, every single day that I've had a business, <laughs> I wake up and think this. Yep. I'm really lucky in that I get emails from people. In addition to the ones wanting to break my legs, I got emails from people saying, I got one yesterday. Kid said, I met you a year ago. I want you to know, I took up your challenge. I'm in college. I'm making Dean's list. I am going to get these four years done. And I said, you know, I get emails from, from husbands getting back with their wives because of this, wives back with their husbands, give up drinking, give up drugs. Uh, they got through missing an arm or a leg. I said, but somehow this message of this young kid going to college and wasn't going to go um, was really powerful yesterday. And so as long as I keep getting those messages, it, um, it keeps you going, you know? Yeah. It feels very purposeful. But but anyway, my wife and I, I left Wall Street. My wife and I bought a farm in Vermont. We started having kids and goats and chickens. And uh, this was around 2020. And I started. we started the business as a hobby, uh, as, in a, as a way to bring people to this farm in Vermont. It was very hard to do. We, we've had TV shows along the way. We've burned millions and millions of dollars. Um, 
We, we built a business in Slovakia because, because I described the Polish guys that I worked with years ago in the pool business. That led me to meet some Slovakian guys. They became incredibly good friends and family. We, we built a giant bis business in Eastern Europe, in, in Slovakia, Romania, Hungary, uh, Poland, and, um, and Ukraine, oddly enough. And so, uh, and, and then all over the world, you, you, you name the country, we, we were there. China, we have a massive business in China. Um, what does that mean, just quickly, when you say you built the business in those territories? Meaning, well, so, like, what's the setup in Ukraine, in China that you... Yeah, so, so listen, you've got to figure out a way logistically to get all these obstacles um, somewhere, sitting in a warehouse, you got to get trucks, you got to find locations to put on events. You got to speak to the people in their language. It's no different than putting a race on in Queens. I did. I put one on in Queens years, years ago. Well, I actually uh, Shea Stadium. You guys call City Field now. Yes. Um, <laughs> right. I. 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 I uh, no different. But it's easy for me in New York because I get it. I know the avenues, the streets. I can figure it out. Uh, a little harder in Slovakia. Yeah. Or South Africa. Um, and so I told my wife. I don't know. In 2013, 2014. Yeah, 2014. Let's move. The kids are young. We'll move around the world. And we'll, uh, as we move around the world, we could set up operations. So we, we, we've lived in a bunch of different countries and we got everything rolling. And, um, and like I said, in 2019, it was humming, but now, but now we're rebuilding it. And, um, and humming meant you had sponsors, you had tons of entries, you were selling merch and apparel, um, you were licensing the, the Spartan race and there was multiple races, right? There was races at all different levels. There was extreme tests, all types of um, experiences you put together and you had raised capital multiple times throughout that period to grow it to where it was, or was it not that type of business? No, uh, the, the, the best way I could describe it is you start with $50 million and at the end of it, you end up with one. <laughs> that's the best way that's what i i um i used credit card i mean i went for broke and uh we raised money we did we raised money twice we raised money twice and um but i raised money late in the game which allowed me to hold keep a bunch of the equity which i don't know if it was worth it or not <laughs> but but here i am yep and um and, you know, listen, I'm being overly dramatic. Well, I'll dig out of it because I always do. I'll figure out a way to dig out of it and and we'll survive. And um, Circus Soleil didn't even, Circus Soleil couldn't make it, yeah. okay? If we make it, like, well, when, I, I think when, you we, when we make when it. When we make it. Yeah. I mean, well, but, you know, the thing is, is concurrently, you, Joe DeSena, have had multiple books on the bestseller list. You have a show on CNBC now, and what you've done to impact people and what Spartan has meant has been a success, right? The business has had tough times like the rest of the world, but, you know, from the outside looking in, you've built a movement. You've built, you know, a, a way to communicate with people. You've built a, a way of life. And, you know, I was watching your show and it, it, it had me thinking about, you know, like I said, my own company, my own business, but, that part of it where you realize the effect that what you were doing, whether, you know, it was hemorrhaging money, making money, the following was growing. Um, when did you realize the impact it was having on people? You know, having 400,000 entries into a race, 
that means you impacted a lot of people. When did that switch happen and you and your wife kind of realized what you were building was now changing people's lives in some way? I was, um, it was 2010. We were putting on a race in Vermont. We had about 800 entries. And I happened to have a guy with me from Discovery Channel who would make the decisions on, you know, new show, new potential shows. He was a big thinker. He understood psychology. I was just worried about like spears being thrown and <laughs> making sure nobody died and making sure everybody's timing chips were working. And he looked at me and he said, oh my God, you see what's going on here? And I said, no, what's going on? He said, literally people's lives are, look at them come across the finish line. They are being transformed. And um, I knew I was transformed when I raced, right? And the people I brought along were transformed, but I didn't realize that like three and a half miles would do it. I didn't think eight miles would do it, um, but it was literally happening before our eyes. And, and, um, and so that's when I said, we gotta, we gotta um, this thing has legs. We gotta, we yeah. gotta press, our, press our bets here. What's the death race? The death race is um, a crazy race. Funny enough, at 4.30, I invited all old death racers to do a Zoom with me. Um, you know what happened? I was doing, I got on a kick for a while. I was doing Ironman races and marathons and ultra marathons. And I was in Lake Placid and it was pouring rain. And I watched all these people quit the race. And I remember saying like, it doesn't, and I wasn't being cocky about it. I just didn't understand. I was like, it doesn't say Iron Man unless it's raining. It says Iron Man. <laughs> Who cares it's raining? Like, why, why are, like, I don't understand. And so I said, I got to create a race that turns your whole life upside down. You think it's 26.2 miles, and then we add an extra 10. <laughs> or you think it's going to start on Friday morning, but I changed my mind. It's starting Thursday night. <laughs> or whatever, right? Like, yep. like you, get, you get to an aid station, and in order for you to get water, you've got to solve a Rubik's Cube um, because that's what it's like to run a business. That's what it's like um, to, to, to be married. To live um, life, yeah. To live life. And so, so I said, that's, we're going to call it the death race. And we started, we started putting it on. And it was, um, it was amazing. And the New York Times picked it up. And then, yeah, that's what, yeah. And I, I noticed as well, there was a company, Peak.com. What's that? Peak.com was uh, the first name I came up with before Spartan. Got it. it, got was, it, got it. Uh, Peak.com was available back in 2000. Um, but but it, it, we changed it into Spartan. And a major thing happened in this story, which was, um, I'll let you tell it, which was the details of this experience in Quebec, which really sparked a lot of this, right? Which seems just like out of a movie. So give me some details on that one. Yeah, it was, we were doing a race. This was a tune-up race to, to teach Joe, me, the, um, you know, I was the apprentice learning, learning how to do this stuff. Um, we were going to do, we were going to do 350 miles through uh, northern Quebec, uh, 30 below temperatures. And my friends who, who did this stuff for a living, they just raced all the time. They were taking me in under their wing because I was paying the bills. And uh, they say, yeah, it's a tune-up, right? We'll, just, we'll knock this out, we'll win it, it'll get you ready, and then we'll do some big stuff. Yep. And um, we found ourselves on, you know, falling down a mountain uh, in waist-deep snow and 30 below temps, 
Uh, I'm hanging off a tree. Um, it was, you know, it was very touch and go. We got stuck a ton of times in that race. And I, and I remember the guy that was with us who had climbed Everest multiple times turns to the other teammates, not me, because he, and he says, oh, this is a serious situation. We, <laughs> we might not, man. I'm like, this guy climbed Everest twice. If he thinks it's serious, I, like, what value, I clean pools. What, what value can I add here? I'm done. Yeah. So, um, but we made it out. And what, you had to climb, on, you had to go down into the snow, all right, right? Yeah. To stay safe? That's, you stay safe, dig into warm, the yeah. warm um, and survive. So how far down into the snow did you go? You don't have to go that far down. I mean, you just got to make sure the thing, um, you know, you could stay warm in there. But um, we tried to start a fire. My glove caught on fire. <laughs> it's like, it like everything that could go wrong went wrong. But, um, but we made it out. You can dig down into snow and be warmer than being. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. Once you can capture the air, once you could hold that air still, air is an amazing insulator. Um, didn't know it at the time, but you learn, you learn when you're in a survival situation, you learn, you learn a lot. And then after the books and, uh, and all the success, and then obviously obstacles that the company is going through now, you've launched this show on CNBC. So I'm hooked. I've already started watching it. I, I, um, I'm interested to, to know what what do you what you feel like you get out of that? You know, in talking to you, it's funny because if if I didn't know you had a show and I and someone said, "Do you think Joe does a does a show?" I would be like, "I don't know. I feel like he's got so much on his plate. He's building this movement. He, I don't see it." But you're great on the show, and the show fits perfectly on CNBC. And 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 I and I and I got connected to it. I don't know. Again, I don't think I could do any of this stuff, but I'm intrigued by it. But What's the show doing for you? Is it um, well, fulfilling yeah. something? Yeah, I mean, when we make decisions, when I make decisions for the company, I, I always go back to, is this gonna help us change 100 million lives? And, and um, I met the CNBC you know, CEO, and he was really intrigued because I, the thing that bugs me is like, if you're in business, how are you not treating yourself like an Olympian? How do you not? How do you not eat properly, sleep properly? Like, how do you not do all that? Because we're trying to get a gold medal every day yep. in business. So um, he bought into it and he said, let's give it a whirl. We'll do a season. Um, they spent a ton of money. I filmed for 65 days. If I, I mean, between us, if I had to never do it again, I'd be thrilled because I don't have 65 full days to give. Uh, it's a lot to take away yeah. from your business and your family. Um, but, but great presence great exposure um and it just helps it just helps get people sucked in to doing hard shit did these companies really, turn around did, did you see oh my god turn like, like like shockingly like even the guy who does this i've been doing i've had companies on the farm for 20 years um it's unbelievable what happens unbelievable amazing you know there's probably a, a big world in the metaverse for spartan for joe and um and for kind of galvanizing people in this new world too, I think. Yeah, I got to figure the whole metaverse thing out because on the one hand, I'm saying get outside. On the other hand, we've got we've to play in the digital space and meet people where they are. Um, and I don't, I don't understand it all. Um, I just want to hang out with that bird that I told you about. I hear you. 
you know. The problem is the bird was probably on the way to like to his Coinbase account to there you buy go. and sell some NFTs. Well, I mean, I think ultimately the the size of your brand, the size of the star that is you, the the, the lives you've impacted, it's companies like that that actually have the long game in the metaverse because the one thing you can offer is these utilities that exist in real life and that'll always win out. So, um, but listen, man, I, I definitely am going to watch the rest of the season. Um, I got to talk to you more offline about how to click that next, that fire, the physical fire. Mentally, I feel like I'm up 24 seven. Mentally, I feel like my mind could run the death race. Physically, I've always questioned it. But when you give the analogy of if I had to run 97 miles for my life, could I do it? Hell yeah, I would do it. I would do it for you anyone close no, to me. You have no choice. So what you, you have to do is create no choice. When I was first doing long distance stuff, I, I made my wife, who was then my girlfriend, just drop me off 45 miles from home with no money. I yeah. gotta get home. Gotta get home. I, right? No phone, no, no money. Your wife what's is your, probably like... What's your next move? <laughs> Yeah, why? If you, how how long did your wife give you to get home? Because my wife would be on my ass, trailing me. She'd be like, "Yeah, I got you," but she'd be trailing me. She probably was happy that I, you know, that I was gone. Who knows? I, I am yeah. tough to live with, man. I'm I'm like relentless, like waking everybody up early, pushing the girls, pull ups. Why? Like, you just walked in the house. Why do we have to do pull ups? Pull ups. Yeah. Let's go. Well, you know, it's funny. Before I let you go, I, I watched the video of you, you know, talking about what your business had done and how they on their own went and started to help these refugees. And you made a comment about the, the mentality in Eastern Europe at times about how a lot of times you notice that these guys and these women aren't depressed because they're just head down doing the work. And, you know, I would imagine there's some of that that connects with you, which is why you got to get up. And I, I know the feeling I don't do it with physical um, workouts, but when I'm away with my family, I can drive myself crazy if I feel like we're just sitting around, you know, like there's life, there's life out there. And like, how do we not maximize every experience? But, um, but another thing you said that really connected me is that we spend our lives trying to avoid discomfort. So it's that lifelong balance of like pushing yourself and when innately you want to avoid <laughs> discomfort, man. Yeah. And I, and last thing I'll leave everybody with is um, if this was the 1800s, this would have been a totally different podcast where I probably would be selling couches and popcorn and Netflix because we needed more of it back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, but right now, right now, we need a lot less of that. We need a lot less of it. We need to get back in touch with ourselves, yeah. Yes. All right, man, appreciate it. Let's connect soon. You're awesome. Um, you're awesome, brother. New York dudes. Let's, um, if you remember, look up my schedule. I have no idea when it is. Um, invite 300 because of the movie 300 and the Spartans. 300 of your listeners uh, to City Field. I'll give you 300 free races. And um, you you go out there, it's three miles. You could do City Field. Don't I tell me do you City can't Field. do that. I could do that. And, I wear my Nas Mets jersey. I, I promise you, I promise you, uh, if I lose, I'll, I'll buy you a mozzarella and roasted pepper hero. All right? Done. But I promise you, you will come back and you will say you were right. Deal. Deal right. and deal. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you, Joe. I will catch you soon. See you, bye. My man. <laughs>